This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been having a discussion about how do we handle disagreement? How do we break the cycle of increasing polarization, of division and despair? The national conversation just seems to be unmoving. Whatever the topic is, it's almost certain that there's someone in the room who's going to hold the opposite perspective and is willing to fight you on it. And so what this leads us to is either every expression of an opinion is merely a pretext for a fight or... We want to avoid the fight, and so we avoid the important conversations altogether. And both of these are not great options. I came across a new book on Ave Maria Press by Father Casey Cole called The Way of Beatitude, Living Radical Hope in a World of Division and Despair. He joins us again on air today. He's been on the show before, and you can find that episode over in the archives at OutsideTheWalls.com. He's joined today by Father Tito Serrano because the two of them are on tour. We're going to talk about that and the book as well. The tour is the Bleacher Brothers Tour, and they're on an 11-week tour, uh, a pilgrimage of sorts, as they visit all 30 Major League Baseball stadiums, meeting people where they are, uh, and inviting them to round the bases and return home, home to Jesus and his church. Fathers, it's so great to have you both on the show today. Yes, I love the, the use pilgrimage, though. I, I think that touches on a lot of things because it is a pilgrimage in a very serious sense, in a very um, personal sense, in that we're going to our childhood dreams and we're going to things that we have loved for so many years. We love baseball. But it's also a pilgrimage, I think, for other people in maybe a too serious way, that this is the cathedral that where they worship. Mm-hmm. It is the ultimate for a lot of people. And the reason we're going on to this place, these places is because we want to invite them back to the other cathedrals. We want them to come back to the places of worship that we know have stood for thousands of years. And so it's the idea of evangelization here, of going where people are and encountering them in what is a beautiful, joyful thing and reminding them that there's something even more joyful than this. And this just seems so very Franciscan. It's very appropriate uh, because it feels like something that Francis would do, leaving the, the the place where people would expect to find religion and going out uh, to meet the people where they are. And here, of course, in the United States, this is America's pastime to go out to the baseball games. Exactly. Yeah. And I think football has a monopoly some of the time, but historically, traditionally, baseball is the place. And as much as they're doomsday sayers out there, baseball is still the number two sport in terms of attendance. It's been up this year. People love it. And so why not go where they are? The other thing that that baseball allows for you is this continuous tour because, you know, football, you've got like one shot a week. And if you were going to try to hit them all, it would take you a very long time. But you've got literally just stacked on top of one another. You can hit a a game here and a game there in really short order. You're doing it over the course of what, uh, 11 weeks? 11 weeks. We're going to 17,000 miles. We're going to hit all 30 parks. It's the pilgrimage of all pilgrimages, if you ask me. Um, it does allow us to go three or four a week and fit how we can into it and then go to the churches and to the soup kitchens and to the schools and to invite people to encounter us there as well. I imagine wherever people encounter you, you raise eyebrows and raise questions because it's not every day that you see a, a friar in a habit 
walking through the, the grocery store or the gas station, much less at a place where there's a crowd like a baseball stadium. Oh, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Um, just the other day, I walked into a gas station to get some snacks and the gas station attendant kind of just gave me a quick glance as I walked through the door and then did a double take and very obviously looked up and down and back up again <laughs> and was like, what the heck is this? And I was, and I just said, hi. And usually when someone has such a strong reaction, they, they want to engage, they want to talk. So usually when I say hi, that gives them license to, this guy chose not to, um, but I'm sure he had thoughts and I, I kind of wished he had just voiced them, you know? Um, but yeah, the habit that we wear really does get people's attention. And it it, it kind of gives us a, a little bit of a leg up in the sense that people, when they see it, they want to engage us. They want to know what the heck is going on. And I always appreciate the encounters that come from it. Even if people start off going, oh, you look like a Jedi. Thank you. <laughs> do, do you ever get the, are you a real, are you a real priest or are you like cosplaying right now? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. All the time we get questions. Are you a Jedi? Are you uh, Moses or Jesus? Uh, are you Jewish or Muslim? There's always all sorts of questions. Mm -hmm. And so you just, you talk to people. And, and because I think we're approachable, we're, you're unique and peculiar enough that they want to know. And then we can just hit them with, no, we're just simple men that love Jesus and we want to talk about Jesus. And especially myself living in the South, I live in middle Georgia. That's something that resonates with people. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's so interesting. Why do you do this? And so you tell them a little about Francis. You tell them about this evangelical missionary discipleship attitude that we've had for 800 years. And they're dumbfounded by it because they don't know history, but they're also really interested in it. You also stand out not only because you're in a habit, but you are both very young men in a habit. And mm -hmm. typically, if if we do see representations of friars, it's the old, tired friar or the haggard face. And so not only do you have this, this witness just by virtue of the clothing that you're wearing, but it's a curiosity even beyond that because you are not the stereotypical picture that the average person expects to see. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to be 33 next week. Tito is much, much older. <laughs> 35. Yeah. Um, that's not what you normally see. And, and I think there's something I people identify with, that guy looks like me. Mm -hmm. And it's something I love in my preaching. We both work with young people. Father Tito works at the university. I work at a high school. And so we're with young people that we can just kind of relate to on sports and music and movies. And even if we're saying the exact same thing mm -hmm. as our older counterparts, there's something about it that is an advantage. And so I, I think that we can use that to our advantage of just being present. People yeah. are fascinated. So we're going to do a lot of theology on taps this summer because you know what? Believe it or not, we're real people and we like beer too. Yep. <laughs> and we like to just talk about things. Father Tito and I have a podcast about movies. Yep. There's almost nothing explicitly religious about it. We just love the beauty of cinema. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to connect with people. So something that my, my listeners have heard over and over and over again is – the scripture encourages us. First Peter 3.15, always be ready to have an answer for the hope that's within you, uh, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And I, I like to say, you can't give an answer if they don't ask a question. And so go out and live a questionable life. I now, like that. You do so in a very particular way with your, your way of life, your charism, your habit. But all of us are called to that same thing. We're all called to be ready to give an answer 
for the hope that's within us. We're all called, going back to the book uh, available on Ave Maria, uh, The Way of Beatitude, Living Radical Hope in a World of Division and Despair. We're all called to bridge that gap. All of us are called to be bridge builders, ministers of reconciliation, as Paul would say. Very often in our society, we end up in these tribal camps, like these are my people and these are the other people out there. But we're called to embrace all people. So how do we do that in a way that doesn't compromise our belief, but to do so in a way that invites others into it? And of course, that's what you're doing on this trip. But but for the rest of us who aren't going to take an 11-week trip to all the, the places, how do we do that in our specific location? Yeah, I think you said it exactly right, that it's easy to look to us as Franciscans, us as priests, us as religious, and put us on a pedestal in some ways. We have ex- excessive training in some ways, and we've got academic training, all, all these things that make us, quote unquote, special. Um, but the fact of the matter is our, our life as Franciscans is just Christianity. That's all Francis wanted. There's nothing particular about it, really, other than to live the gospel. That's our rule of life. And so you look at my book and you say, you know, living radical academia? No. Living radical power? No. Radical hope. It's about living this Christian life. So I think for those people who might be thinking, well, I don't know the doctrines all that well, and I'm, I'm a sinner, and, you know, I'm, I'm just inadequate in all these ways. That's not really what matters. What matters is the Beatitudes, which is a way of life of struggling with afflictions and yet finding hope in that. It's about offering the world a third way between division and despair, between fighting and power on the one hand and giving up and not thinking we can do anything on the other hand. I think that this is something that absolutely everyone can do. And in some ways, it's very simple. It takes no skill to look at persecution and to thank God that we're not like the world, to look at our poverty and say, I need to depend on God more, to look at our hunger and say, I need to drive towards God in the same way that I drive towards food when I haven't eaten all day. Mm-hmm. There's something about that simple living that if you're asking how we evangelize and how we change the world, it's not how we preach to people. It's not the good works in some ways we do. It's the way that we encounter affliction that is so countercultural. the way that we are an Easter people and says, this death won't conquer me. Mm-hmm. This affliction, this this COVID, this racial unrest, these political things, they're not going to divide me because I stand on the higher grounds of God. I grew up in the Protestant tradition. I came into the church in 2011, right about the time that you were entering into the Franciscans, Father. And in the Protestant sphere, this isn't universal, but it, it's uh, it's stereotypical. There's this uh, this thing put forward that if you follow Christ— all of your problems go away. You got problems, Christ is, nice. Christ is the answer. And so there's this expectation that if you're following Christ, your difficulties aren't difficult. And if you experience that difficulty, then you can't let anyone know that you're experiencing that difficulty because then they'll know, right? Then they'll know that, that you must not be a really good Christian because for good Christians, obviously, you wouldn't be having these problems. Well, Catholicism doesn't give us that same outlook. Uh, Catholicism says, hey, look, here's the cross. Uh, Hold tight to it because this one is yours, right? You get to have your own. But I I see around us, maybe it's materialism, maybe it's utilitarianism, but we all, I think, have this expectation in Western society that ease and leisure is the highest good. And so 
if I'm experiencing anything less than that, then, then bad things are happening to me. And it comes back to that question, why do bad things happen to good people as well? There's this expectation that anything negative uh, that we experience is automatically evil. I think what it reveals and what I try to get to in the book is that underlying all of our religious motivations is actually a sense of success that is built on the values of the world, that I want to be comfortable, I want to be safe, I want to be loved, I want all the things that the world offers. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's a sense that God wants all of those things for us as well, but it's never the ultimate good. So I joke, you know, I've made YouTube videos about this, that we say, you know, hashtag blessed, <laughs> you know, when we're in front of our new car or a nice house, so we've got our family and there's nothing wrong with these things. These are all nice things, of course, but the reality is that they are still a sense of this world mm -hmm. and what this world values. And what God wants us to do is to say, there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. And we should be willing to give up everything, including our lives including our comforts and our securities and our place in the society, can we give it all up? And what I think the Beatitudes do is they challenge us to actually do that, to find that, you know what? This year has been awful with sickness and this year has been awful with strife and people have called me names and yet I'm still happy. The, the thing you're asking about this sense of, of weakness is so silly because as you say the cross, but St. Paul says, you know, when, when I am weak, then Christ is strong. We, we boast of our weaknesses because it's in that moment we rely on him more and more. And I think that's what the Beatitudes do, is they strip us of those underlying values of comfort and security and realize that there's something well beyond far more important. It reminds me of a short story by Flannery O'Connor. She's talking about this little girl and says she knew she could never be a saint, but she thought she could be a martyr if they killed her quick. You, you mm -hmm. talk about, it, you know, we want to be able to follow God's will, even if it leads to death. I think that that's sometimes the easier thing. It's the little deaths, the death of, of dreams and the death of expectations and the introduction of hunger, uh, whether that be a, a hunger for, for food or for acclaim or for whatever. It's the, those little bitty deaths that I think can be almost insurmountable and I'll say insurmountable without grace. Yeah, I think, I mean, what you're talking about um, very much reminds me of uh, some of my friends who I know who are in recovery. You know, it's a day-to-day -day journey, a dying to yourself each day. Today, I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to abuse this, or I'm not going to allow this. And, and the recognition, especially in the recovery process, that I depend on a power greater than myself. Um, and I think that's so instrumental in our day-to-day -day life. It's something that all of us, I think, can relate to. Um, it's a struggle that I have for for um, different things in my life, you know, bad habits that I've picked up throughout my life. I would love to wake up every morning and go, ah, today I'm not going to have any more problems of this kind. That's not the reality. The reality is I'm going to, every day I wake up and I go, okay, I can get through today with God's help. You know, we believe in God. We believe in, in uh, the redemption of Christ and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so those are, those are, um, forces and re and and people, they're persons that we can call on in every day and in particular moments. And I think recognizing our dependence upon them doesn't show a weakness, but shows a courage and a strength to allow yourself to be dependent on someone else. In the Liturgy of the Hours, when we first approach prayer, we start with that that invocation, oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And there's some mornings, like before I even get to morning prayer, I'm just laying in bed and I'm like, that's my, that's the first thought out of my mouth. Uh, because 
I'm, I'm going to need that today, right? And when we come to Mass, when we come and celebrate the liturgy, the first thing that we do is we confess our sins and we recognize our own weakness and we, we call for God's grace to come uh, and, and join us on that journey, on that pilgrimage uh, towards God's grace. Within this, I think it's really easy for us to, to go through the liturgy and to pray those prayers and to not let them move beyond the liturgy and into uh, the understanding of how it impacts our, our person. I need outside of the mass to recognize my own weakness and to be okay with that. Like we, we've segmented ourselves off even internally to say, well, here I'm going to recognize my weakness. But when I come over to conversation with this person I disagree with or when I come over to social media, now all of a sudden – uh, those things don't exist. I, th- those are those are church things. Those aren't interaction with the rest of humanity things. And I, I think that maybe that's the hardest place to start living this way of beatitude is the humility to recognize that I need this all the time. And this other person is not an, an idea. It's a person. Um, and I have responsibility to them, but also and this is not my enemy, not my opponent. This is someone who God loves. And I think that that first step of appropriating that information into our heart is the hardest part of this journey to living in beatitude. I think one of the most hilariously awful bits of theology that we hear all the time is God helps those who help themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, could there be any more American theology than that of just independence and I got this? And it's almost like God is up there thinking, gosh, why do you keep bothering me? You know, take care of this yourself. There's nothing biblical about that at all. Rather, what you're saying is absolutely biblical. God, come to my assistance. It's what God loves. God loves to be loved. He loves to be needed and wanted. And I think it's the the essence of our faith is to humble ourselves. Even Christ did it in his kenosis, where he gave up his authority in heaven so that he could be subject to even human beings, to the powers that be here, so that he could trust in God, the Father, so he could lay his life down. And I think, as you say, it's something that we need to remember to do in every situation. And that's why I love the Liturgy of the Hours, is because it makes the hours of the day so holy. You can pray it twice, you can pray it five times a day, and, and just you know that morning, afternoon, evening, night, those sorts of things, where sometimes you know we're slow learners. I need to hear that five times a day. Um, and so I, I think that's hopefully, it's always difficult to rationalize tragedy, right? I, I never want to tell someone that they're, their cancer or their tornado or whatever it is, is God's plan. And it's always a mess. But can we look at tragedy and division and strife and despair and all these things as an agent to finding God? And one of the things I, I hope to get to with this book is it gives us a dependence on God because when we're weak, who else can we turn to? Mm-hmm. We have to say, God, come to my assistance because I've went down that road and I know it ain't working. I think it gives us dependence on each other and empathy with each other that now that I've cried, I can see things that I never saw before. I can feel things I've never felt before. And isn't that wonderful, creating that solidarity? And then I think when you've gone through real tragedy, you realize that certain things just don't matter. You know, in our houses, oh my gosh, someone forgot to put milk on the list and we didn't go to the store and get it. And this has caused fights. And, you know, once you've been through real tragedy, once you've been through real suffering, you say, yeah, I don't think that's the most important thing in the world. You start to see people in their struggles in the in the real world and, and you say you know the kingdom of god is beyond my nose it's beyond my individual needs and and it all comes back to god come to my assistance 
each and every moment, I am not good enough on my own to do this. Um, I need God. I need others. I, I need my place in this world. At the same time, and I, I 100% agree that, that tragedy does draw us into a place of great empathy. Um, at the same time... Hopefully. I, Hopefully, yes, because yeah. it could create walls. I don't want to feel this anymore, so I'm going to project yours. For those who have not, though, experienced tra tragedy, uh, I, I firmly believe that there's a, a path forward for us to enter into that kind of empathy without necessarily having gone through that. And, and it's the first beatitude as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Of Finding ourselves, recognizing our own poverty, uh, where, however that plays out, recognizing our own need for God, uh, as the gateway to the other Beatitudes and as a gateway to being able to bridge this gap of uh, ideological, socioeconomic, whatever the divide and, and the, the chasm is, I think that's the place that the bridge gets built. Yeah, I think that's, it's a really tough one because I, I agree with what you're saying. I disagree. With you. I, think, I ultimately agree with you. I think you can have empathy, but there is always something lacking if you haven't gone through yourself, but that doesn't mean you can't do something. So right. I, I think of my own life. I look at my position in society. I'm a white male in the Catholic Church. I'm straight. I'm middle class. I'm um, young. I'm healthy. There is no way where I'm a minority. I mean, really, like I am the majority in almost every way. And so uh, I can't experience firsthand a lot of the struggles that people go through. I, I, I just can't firsthand. But that doesn't let me off the hook. And so I think what you're saying, yes, is that that poverty of spirit. I think you go through some of these Beatitudes that say, you know what? Maybe I need some voluntary poverty. Maybe I need to go and listen a little bit more and experience what other people experience. Maybe it draws me to at least stop talking and listen. And I hope that that's what we do, that I may never know what it's like to be a woman and have a miscarriage. I just won't. But that doesn't mean I can't sit and cry with someone who has. And I think what we do sometimes is we build those walls because we just don't care or we can't handle it ourselves or we don't even know it's out there. And hopefully the Beatitudes draw us to ask that question, what am I afraid to see? What am I not seeing? How can I at least come really close to experiencing it? And to some extent, I would think that your charism helps facilitate that, that voluntary poverty uh, puts you in a place where you're able to experience and see a little bit more broadly than you otherwise would. But all of us are called to that. And so I wonder, Father Tito, if you might share with us a story of something in your charism, some conversation that you had that helped you shift your position, uh, maybe, and give us an idea of how we can do the same thing. I want to draw on this sense of community, right? And this is actually something that happened prior to... Um, to joining the friars, but it was right around the time where I was discerning my vocation, and I was just beginning to apply to the Franciscans. I was um, studying at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, and I went out with uh, several friends to uh, to a karaoke bar. I'm not one much for karaoke. I don't sing well. No one wants me to sing, um, but I enjoyed going out and, have, and watching my friends have a good time. I had a couple of beers, and I wasn't really paying much attention uh, to other singers, and while I was out at this bar, uh, apparently, um, a gentleman got up and sang a song that talked about like shooting jihadis and this kind of thing. And it wasn't of, it was definitely not a peace-filled song. Um, it said a lot of things about the Middle East. I don't know what what it was because, like I said, I wasn't paying attention. Um, and after his song finished, 
a few of my friends and I were like, all right, well, uh, we're going to head out of here. We're going to get back home. We'd already been there for a few hours. And he comes up to me and he goes, I'm so sorry. I don't, uh, I didn't mean like any of those things. And he starts apologizing profusely. And I'm very confused as to what's happening at this point. And I think this guy, and I just thought this guy was drunk and he came up to me and he was just like, thought, confused me with someone else. Uh, and it wasn't until after a couple of minutes of talking to him and then also talking to my friends afterwards in the car on the drive home, they go, oh no, he sang this really horrible song about, you know, shooting people and Middle Eastern blah, 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 and all these things. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do know this about myself. I look very Middle Eastern. Okay. I've had many people uh, who are Middle Eastern come up to me and either begin speaking Arabic or ask me, you know, uh, where I'm from because they, they think I might be from Egypt or Iraq or something like that. And so, and it, it was a really interesting moment for me because um, I had never really prior to that considered um, ser uh, the perspective that a lot of people have uh, and stereotypes about people from the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, I was confused for someone like that. And I actually went back and looked up the song because a friend of mine told me what it was. And it was pretty horrible. And I could only imagine what if someone was singing that about me or, yeah. you know, my family or people um, that that I was close to. And I did have friends who who were Middle Eastern. I don't see them so much these days. I mean, I've it's been over 14 years but by now. But um, but I do have other friends now who are Middle Eastern, some friends who are Muslim even. And so it, it, it kind of becomes a sense of even though that wasn't targeted at me, it was targeted at people who I consider to be mine, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, people that I'm very close to. And, you know, I, I was forced to look back on my life prior to that and go, what, what were times where I have said insensitive things? What are times where I have done um, uh, things without really much thought to them and made people feel uncomfortable. And that was where I really started to be conscientious of the way that I spoke, how I spoke about different people. Um, I started to try and t uh, turn back my judgmental tone because I, I have a very, especially at that point in my life, had a very absolutist way of speaking yeah. um, and declarative way of speaking. And so now I started to kind of mitigate, not in a way where I sounded wishy-washy, but where I allowed for different opinions to exist within the conversation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really the important thing. It's You can mitigate your speech in such a way that doesn't um, diminish your point, but at the same time allows for a different perspective to participate in the conversation. And I think that's a really important thing to do. The new book is The Way of Beatitude, Living Radical Hope in a World, The Division and Despair, available right now on Ave Maria Press. That's by Father Casey Cole. Also, if you live anywhere near a baseball stadium, you want to go to breakinginthehabit.org to see the full schedule of the Bleacher Brothers Tour, where you can come and meet Father Casey Cole and Father Tito Serrano, both of them Franciscan friars of Order of Friars Minor. Uh, and you might be able to catch a game with them or catch one of the talks or other opportunities that they have there. All of them are listed on that website, breakinginthehabit.org. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Uh, maybe talk about your favorite memory of going to a ball game or talk about a conversation where you have been able to 
uh, to experience the presence of Christ and be a minister of reconciliation. There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today about living a life of beatitude, overcoming the division, overcoming the despair, overcoming everything that's around us in favor of living a life of unity and of invitation. And to have this conversation, we're talking with Father Casey Cole and Father Tito Serrano. Both of them are Franciscan friars, Order Friars Minor. And they are on an interesting trip. The Bleacher Brothers Tour uh, that started uh, about a week ago from the time that this is airing. Uh, and in 11 weeks, they're going to hit all 30 major baseball stadiums, meeting people where they are and inviting them to round the bases and return home, home to Jesus and his church. Uh, Father Casey, Father Tito, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. What a fun tour this is. Yeah, thank you very much. So there at the uh, at the end of our last segment, Father Tito, you were talking about this story of singing karaoke and ha- hearing a, a person coming up and apologizing to you because they sang an offensive song to uh, to Middle Easterners and thought that you were one of them and came right. to apologize. And I think that there's this, first of all, I want to point out that he recognized and was quickened in his heart to mm-hmm. to see that the thing that he had done was not who he wanted to be and not what right. he wanted to really not what he really wanted to uh, to embody it's right it was an idea that was funny to him isolated but as soon as it got brought into the light of day and into the light of oh this is other people it it made a difference yeah i think that we can do this though with all of our media and to recognize that there are things that seem maybe funny or humorous because of the structures that we grew up in that just once you expose them to the light of day and to the fact that they are an impacting real people, um, all of a sudden, it isn't who we want to be. Mm-hmm. And just as we do an examination of conscience before we go and in participate in the sacrament of uh, reconciliation, I think that there's something to be said for doing an examination of the things that we consume and asking, is this really helping me grow in the kingdom of God or not. Growing up, I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, in a Protestant tradition that probably took that to a far extreme. Um, Never any secular music, really limited movies and and television because those things are, uh, they aren't glorifying to God. Uh, You both mentioned that you have a podcast mainly about movies. So there is something good and beautiful and true that doesn't have to be explicitly Christian. But at the same time, there are so many things out there in the media that we produce and that we consume that aren't just not wholesome, but are truly detrimental to the human family. So let's talk, how do we maybe take stock and make reparation for that kind of, of belief and that kind of joy that we've taken in things that are truly abhorrent? Well, let's start with the important point that there are certain things that can't be unseen. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that once you see them, they have an impact on your soul. And there are certain things I've seen that I wish I had not never seen, that I can't get them out of my dreams or I can't get them out of my 
um, temptations or whatever they are. And so there are certain things that we should probably avoid. That being said, I think that there, as you alluded to, there is a temptation sometimes to avoid everything that is not explicitly Christian. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a very un-Catholic view and it's certainly an un-Franciscan view because what it does is it demarcates the world into God and not God. Mm -hmm. And that's silly. Um, there are certainly evil characters in our world and we certainly have evil decisions. But to think that God can't be in and through everything, that God can't be transforming evil into goods, there can't be hope and redemption even in fall, I think is silly. I think you'd look at really terrible movies morally. So one thing that comes to my mind is um, The Departed, right? I mean, if you've ever seen it, it's dreadful in the violence and the sex and the the words and all, the, all these things. And yet, could we look at that and find beauty in the cinematography? Absolutely. Could we look at it as a bad example to say, you know what, I don't want to follow that. And actually, it calls me to greater virtue. Could it be a way to empathize with people who are stuck in organized crime? Not that that's a you know normal issue to face, but you know, can it help us see that there are real forces of evil that we can't be blind to and we are called to change? That's just a random example off the top of my head, but I do think that there's something about getting our hands dirty and falling in the muck and saying, where is God in this? And how do we draw him out? And how do we call ourselves to something deeper? But as I said at the beginning, it's difficult not to get yourself dirty, not just your hands. And so it's a fine line to walk because sometimes we can kind of like that stuff. We can kind of slip into it of it's no longer about glorifying God. It's about glorifying myself. That's, a, as I say, a tough line to walk. Yeah, there's um, something that we always come back to in our podcast is encouraging people to be conscientious consumers. So when you are watching a movie, don't watch it with your brain turned off. You know, watch it and think about it and, and consider, is there something beautiful in this? Is there not? Is there, are there things that I'm like, oh, I don't really care for that. But what is the underlying message? The, it's rare that a, uh, a movie or any piece of media has a very simple, straightforward, um, one-sided view of a thing. Usually, because there's so many people involved in the production of it, little things get it, get in there. There's the writer, there's the director, and there's the editor. That, they say that movies are written three times, in, mm -hmm. you know, on the page, in the filming, and in the editing room. And because of that, you're going to get different perspectives kind of in there. So when you consume things, consume them with your mind turned on. And I'll say, going back to an early question about empathy, there are certain things that I can't experience and I just won't. And some of them are just because of my state of being, but you know, I'm probably never gonna experience cocaine use firsthand or the despair of certain losses. Mm -hmm. But you know, movies allow us that doorway into a different reality. It allows us that experience of something, someone else and what they go through. And so I, I hope that we can watch movies in that way. We can consume media and music in that way where we can see it as storytelling. We can see it as an experience of truth that may not be our experience, may not be our truth, but helps bring us together. And so how do we take what's good from things and leave what's bad, as St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, you know, test everything, keep what is true. I think that's what Tito is talking about, with keep your, your minds turned on as you consume this stuff. There's been a trend recently in retelling old stories, but flipping who the villain is. We've seen this mm -hmm. a few times. Uh, with with Maleficent, with uh, sure. the, the the wicked um, Broadway play, 
the book is horrible, but the play is delightful. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. N- number of, of things like that that kind of flip the script and say, oh, this person who you've always assumed is the bad guy, actually they're the good guy. And for the most part, I'm not really a fan of that trope with the, um, with the exception of this. I think that there is something to be said for taking a hard look at the stories that we know and that we tell ourselves, not just the entertainment stories, but the worldview stories that we tell ourselves, and asking ourselves if we've rightly identified the villain. Yeah. Because oftentimes we haven't. It was actually episode number one of our podcast. It was called <laughs> No Bad Guys. And it was um, this look at how we villainize people, mm-hmm. not just in our movies, but in real life. We like to have an evil character. And we it's very easy in superhero movies and fairy tales and things like that. But we do it in our lives as well. We want to have a scapegoat. We have one person who's pure evil. And we really pushed against that, that that's, that is a fairy tale. That's not real life. That even if someone has made evil choices, even if someone has really brought injustice to a world, they still have their own story. They still have some moral goodness in themselves. There's still something to like about them. And asking the question, do you think God still loves them? Well, of course God still loves them. So the challenge for us is, can we see them the way that God does? And that's not to embrace what they do. It's not to endorse what they do, but it is to see them as the human person. And then maybe bringing back to the Beatitudes, can we help bring them some liberation of their own structures, their own sinfulness, that they don't even realize they're stuck in this thing? And that only happens when we can embrace uh, our own weakness, embrace uh, that, that empathy. But I think that's what movies help us to do. And that, as you're talking, flipping the characters, can we look at this and say, oh, I've always seen him as the villain, but I didn't realize that his mother abused him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize this happened. Now I have a little more sympathy. Yeah. There's something very powerful about that, even if it doesn't vindicate. Well, Paul says uh, in Ephesians, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against any principalities of this present darkness, goes on and has a couple of different subjects there. Uh, I think that we too often miss the fact that there are forces behind action and and we jump to scapegoating the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... We mistarget our, uh, and I think that that brings us to this place of, of division and despair that you talk about in the book, is it's easier for us to see something we don't like in the person and discount the person, discount the category of person altogether without taking the time to say, who's really the enemy in this situation? What's really the problem in this situation? And how can that be dealt with in a way that liberates that person and doesn't demonize that person? Yeah, one of the stories I tell in the book is about the Wolf of Guvio, a, a classic story for us Franciscans where a wolf is terrorizing a city and he's got a taste for blood and he's eating the sheep, but now he's attacking the people as well. And so St. Francis says, enough is enough. So he goes out and he prays and then he approaches the wolf and he denounces this wolf, all the evil you're doing, you know, tr- speaking truth to power. And for many of us, that's where the story ends. You evil people, we point the finger. But then there's this next step where he realizes and has sympathy on the wolf that the wolf is hungry and lonely. And so he goes to the townspeople and says, what if you feed the wolf each day? And he'll agree not to eat your sheep and your people, but if you feed them. And there's something about that that they just wanted to kill the wolf. They wanted to destroy the wolf. But Francis wanted to liberate the wolf from the things that trapped him. And what he did was actually create reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I think we can go with division where we say, I'm going to pick an enemy and I'm going to destroy them. Mm -hmm. Or we can pick despair where there's no answer at all and I'm just going to run away. 
And what Francis shows us, what Jesus shows us, what the Beatitude shows is that there's a third option, that reconciliation, that sitting in the despair sometimes and saying, God, I need your help. And I, I want more than this cheap answer. I want liberation. Mm -hmm. There was a show that did this very, very well. Um, I really appreciate it, at least for the first you know few seasons. Uh, Once Upon a Time, I don't know if anybody watched <laughs> it, but it's sort of the story of the fairy tales that we know. Uh, the fairy tale characters kind of get kicked out of the fairy tale world and are brought into our world with no memory as to who they are. What I enjoyed about this show was that the villains were still very much villains. Mm -hmm. But as the show progressed, we got to know their backstory. And it wasn't so much that they weren't the villains, but we got to see the traumas that turned them into these people, the decisions that led them piece, you know, step by step down a road that um, ultimately led to them becoming the people who they were, and but didn't leave them there. Instead, allowed them the opportunity for reconciliation, as, as Father Casey said, and also um, the opportunity to grow. And it was always a sense of, love and forgiveness, mm -hmm. love for someone else, and the ability to seek forgiveness and be forgiven were always the things that allowed the villains to then change and become better characters. Um, like all shows, it ran too long and uh, <laughs> and really should have finished a it's couple a great of seasons concept. early. But it was fantastic, you know, when it first came out, I really enjoyed it. And I think that is what we try to encourage people to do, especially as Catholics. You know, as you were saying, we don't want to uh, pigeonhole or I, I, or define a person as this one thing because this is what we see, but rather look with prophetic eyes, look through the eyes of God to the person's heart and, and see beyond um, the surface, what we are encountering right now, see the brokenness, see the pain and see the healing and reconciliation that has to take place to for there to be a proper transformation which yeah. is only possible if we see them as our people yeah. if we see us as in this together and as you alluded to earlier that our enemy is not the, our neighbor mm -hmm. our enemy is the devil our enemy is evil itself yeah. and injustice and there are people trapped in it but i think sometimes we see our neighbor as the enemy and as long as we do that, as long as we forget that God created us to be brothers and sisters in solidarity with one another, we're going to always have enemies. Um, and so how do we expand my people beyond just myself, beyond my family, beyond my country, but see us all as this universal family? It's what Francis has talked about with Fratelli Tutti, mm -hmm. you know, a universal brotherhood and sisterhood. How difficult and yet how essential until we accept that our problems are going to continue to persist. We're out of time here today, but I want to draw attention again to breakinginthehabit.org. This lays out your tour, the the brothers and the bleachers. Uh, the I, I'm curious, this idea of adopting all people. Does this mean you don't have a team you're rooting for? <laughs> Are all the teams? I think your you team? can have preferences, yes, mm -hmm. but I think you know there's a limit. That doesn't mean you have hatred for the others. Oh, okay. So you're going to be hitting all uh, 30 stadiums in 11 weeks. The calendar is there on breakinginthehabit.org. Uh, and there's really very few places in the country that you're not going to be close to at one point in time. You're visiting the games. You're also giving talks and uh, visiting other apostolates to serve the kingdom as you go around. I, I highly encourage you to find out where they're going to be. See if you can get close and go and say hi to them. Tell them you, you heard about them here. Also, don't forget to pick up the book on Ave Maria Press, The Way of Beatitude, Living Radical Hope in a World of Division and Despair. 
Father Tito, Father Casey, thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Casey Cole and Father Tito Serrano, maybe you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at Outside the Walls. Uh, you can also find the first time I talked with Father Casey back in May of 2021. Uh, we had a great conversation then. All you have to do is click on his name in the guest list over at OutsideTheWalls.com and you'll find this episode and the previous episode with him as well. Now, if you just can't get enough, there's always more. Each and every week we have extra segments that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and I would love for you to go and take a look there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just click that Patreon link. There's a couple of those extra segments that are available for you to listen to and decide if that's something that you want to be a part of and have access to on a regular basis. Now... Let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. Learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That reading again comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 12. And there are a couple of places in Scripture where Paul gives us this short little checklist, this kind of... Uh, maybe even an examination of our own attitudes and behaviors as it pertains to the Christian life. Here in Romans 12, we have one. We also have uh, one that's my favorite over in Colossians 3. And there's just a couple of places like this where he's like, okay, I know that I'm a confusing writer, so let me just sum it up as quickly and as succinctly as possible. Here is a 
an examination for you to look at and see, am I living up to the Christian ideal? Am I living the Christian life? Does my life show these fruits that are listed? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a checkup to see how we're doing. And in some of those other passages where Paul is giving us these checklists, uh, they are primarily concerned with the Christian life in relation to other Christians in the community. And we see some of that here um, with the, with the, you know, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. But he goes beyond that here, looking at how we relate to those, even those who are not within the Christian community. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then here, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Here, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking back to the conversation we had earlier as Father Casey Cole was talking about, sometimes you have to go through tragedy in order to really understand. But even if we haven't been through the tragedy, just this act of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, both within our community and outside of it, we can grow more and more like, like God. We can become more like Christ and reflect more of who he is simply by living this part out. Weep with those who weep. Maybe I'm not feeling like weeping. Maybe I would rather uh, fix the problem. Maybe I would rather correct the problem. Maybe I would rather point to something that I think is a more obvious, uh, well, if you would just have done this, then you wouldn't be weeping. Well, no, that's not what it says. It says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. How easy it is for us to figure out the solution that we think is best and simply to harp on that and not to take the time to, to mourn with those who mourn and to listen to the things that weigh them down. Our reading from church history today comes from a homily on the Song of Songs by St. Gregory of Nyssa. When love has entirely cast out fear and fear has been transformed into love, then the unity brought us by our Savior will be fully realized for all men will be united with one another through their union with the one supreme good. They will possess the perfection ascribed to the dove. According to our interpretation of the text, one alone is my dove, my perfect one. She is the only child of her mother, her chosen one. Our Lord's words in the gospel bring out the meaning of this text more clearly. After having conferred all power on his disciples by his blessing, he obtained many other gifts for them by his prayer to the Father. Among these was included the greatest gift of all, which was that they were no longer to be divided in their judgment of what was right and good, for they were all to be united to the one supreme good. As the apostle says, they were to be bound together with the bonds of peace and the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. They were to be made one body and one spirit, by the one hope to which they were all called. We shall do better, however, to quote the sacred words of the gospel itself. I pray, the Lord says, that they all may be one, that as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, 
so they also may be one in us. Now the bond that creates this unity is glory, that the Holy Spirit is called glory. No one can deny if he thinks carefully about the Lord's words. The glory you gave me, I have given to them. In fact, he gave this glory to his disciples when he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Although he had always possessed it, even before the world existed, he himself received this glory when he put on human nature. Then, when his human nature had been glorified by the Spirit, the glory of the Spirit was passed on to all his kin, beginning with his disciples. This is why he said, The glory you gave me I have given to them, so that they may be one as we are one. With me and them and you and me, I want them to be perfectly one. Whoever has grown from infancy to manhood and attained to spiritual maturity possesses the mastery over his passions and the purity that makes it possible for him to receive the glory of the Spirit. He is that perfect dove upon whom the eyes of the bridegroom rest when he says, One alone is my dove, my perfect one. That reading from church history comes from a homily on the Song of Songs by St. Gregory of Nyssa. The key to all of this is laid out for us there in that first sentence. When love has entirely cast out fear, and fear has been transformed into love, then the unity brought us by our Savior will be fully realized. Oftentimes we, we look at the ideal and we just know we fall short of it. We know that we still lose our temper and we still get up in arms and we still want to be right and struggle with all of the things that come with disagreement. And the question is, how do we get to a place where we can live out that unity and that docility that is our birthright, that's been promised to us as heirs of Christ? And I think it's right here. When love has entirely cast out fear and fear has been transformed into love, I think it's important to do this examination and to ask, where are the places where I am fearful? Fearful that the outcome isn't going to be the right one. Fearful that I'm not going to be able to articulate truth and so I'm just going to say it louder. Where are those places of fear and can we give ourselves a moment of humility to invite the Holy Spirit into those places and those fears to turn over those fears to love, perfect love, God who is love, because as scripture says, perfect love casts out all fear. If we truly trust that the God who loves us, who created us, and who calls us to unity and to compassion and to kindness, if we truly believe that he is in us and we are in him and he has called us to be his own, then surely we can get to that place where we can relax and rest in his love and let our fear not just be cast out, but be transformed and be molded into the love that resembles his own. And in that place, when we get to that place where our fear is transformed into love, then the unity brought to us by our Savior will be fully realized.
and all will be united with one another through this union with the one supreme good, Jesus Christ. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.